Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The League of Evil Moms. <laughs> I am your blessed and highly favored host, Nobukosi Mafu, and on this podcast, I aim to create a supportive community specifically for African moms raising their beautiful brown skin babies so far from the lands we call home. We're going to talk about what it's like to raise our children outside the motherland, far away from the families, the cultures and the communities that informed who we are and how we show up in the world. Y'all know it's not always easy, especially in a world where the legacy and chains of colonialism still play such a big part in our lives as Africans. But together, I know we can provide each other with the support that will empower us to empower our children so that when they show up in the world, they can do so with their chins high and their chests proud, knowing that their history does not have to define who they are. Now, this podcast is, first and foremost, for my African mamas. I love you. I am you. But it's also for anyone with children, anyone who loves children, anyone who knows of children, anyone who's ever seen a children, or even knows how to spell the word children. In fact, the only people for whom this podcast is not is children. Sorry, little friends. And this is also the part where I mention that here at the League of Evil Moms, you will sometimes hear the occasional curse word. Oh, <laughs> but don't worry, you're going to be fine. And this is important, important shit we are talking about here. It's big stuff. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. And if you are a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Like I've told you before, I am having a blast creating these episodes. I'm having a great time engaging with you, talking about the episodes and the show. So please keep the support coming because you are giving me life. This week, I will be talking with my good friend, Zaley. You are in for a treat. We are going to be talking about village, the different forms that village can take, and the roles that our villages play in our lives. Before we jump into this awesome episode, I would like to remind you to please if you enjoy the show, leave a review, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review, leave a little message. The more the show is rated and reviewed, the easier you make it for other people to find it. 
And you know what they say, the more the merrier. And trust me, here at the league, oh, I wish you could see these league headquarters. They're huge, they're massive. There's enough space here at the league for everybody. So tell your mama, tell your auntie, tell your friend, tell your coworker, even that one that you don't particularly like, tell her too. Tell her, because she'll love the show. And who knows, maybe you guys can become friends after all. So, fellow child raisers, mamas, papas, whoever you are listening, you know the drill. Get comfortable, grab yourself a fat glass of wine or a pint of beer or tea. Heck, it's Friday, get you a margarita or that whiskey if them kids really been trying it with you this week. Grab whatever you need because the League of Evil Moms has assembled. So, here at the League, the first order of business is a little segment I like to call Give Yourself a Fucking Break. Yay! On today's Give Yourself a Fucking Break, I'm joined by my good friend, Zaylee. Zaylee is joining me all the way from Sweden, very large multinational company doing very important work. And in addition to that, she is the mother of a beautiful brown skin baby named Ash. Welcome to the show, Zaylee. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me and I'm happy to be doing my first podcast experience with you. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) Zaylee, welcome to the league. Okay. And listen, if there's anybody that needs a fucking break, it's got to be you. You are practically an army of one. How do you give yourself a fucking break? Yes. Can you say that louder for the universe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And I think I just approach it from what I've, <laughs> what I've learned is not to set the expectation too high <laughs> and just learn how to prioritize even those very small things um, that make a difference because it's not all the time that I can actually have uh, like play dates to give me that break or sleepovers or parties, especially taking into consideration these past couple of years where everything has almost come to a complete standstill. So even things I had figured out before, like, oh, every month I go with my other mom friend for a three hour spa in our neighborhood. And that is like, that was our amazing time, but that, that was gone that was gone so um i had to kind of relearn how to give myself a break from my living room and the apartment and just like where life became work and laundry and cooking and where 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 is me in in all of this um and i realized that those things that are good for me can also give me a break so small things like uh how I use my time prioritizing exercise. So luckily, even from work, we had some really easy fitness challenges, which were social and it was like sharing pictures. So I use those kind of things to get me into those routines. 
uh, a quick lunchtime workout, um, you know, t- m- taking advantage of the fact that we're at home so I can quickly do that. Um, and when it was possible to go back to the gym, okay, let's work a gym routine into that. So I make sure I get my three to four hours a week. I'm not a fitness buff. It was just that this is what actually gave me good energy, kept my my mental health afloat, kept me happy. My son even noticed I was happier Mm. after a couple of months of building in this routine after having been like completely at a loss of how am I supposed to have a break in this crazy um in this crazy situation so it's it's really the small things which are already just good for us anyway and that's what I started with and it makes me feel like I have something to do I have somewhere to go because before that I tried to say oh there's these painting social painting events uh I I love to paint and draw just for fun and I was like oh I can do those but again, those things weren't there. So it was no longer trying to get a sitter so that I could go out. It was actually just trying to figure out in this whole chaos, how do I give myself a break? So Mm -hmm. I started with those kind of things and taking more joy as much as possible, (laughs) joy in the cooking. If, you know, sometimes it's enjoyable, sometimes it's not, but uh, I started growing vegetables and I actually found that that was pretty relaxing uh, last year. This year, not so much. <laughs> mm. um, I love how you are bringing awareness to the fact that you do need a break and then being intentional about carving out that time for you, even in the small little things that with a different mindset, you might think is a chore or a bore or an imposition. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful, Zaylee. I think we have lots to learn from you. And I hope you will keep giving yourself a fucking break because I know you're killing this shit. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Okay, now back to the show. Zaylee, you and I have known each other for how long is it actually? You started in Form form 1? No, Form 1. So 2001. Whoa, we go back 21 years. Don't say that. Don't even call it. Don't call it. <laughs> Damn. Ooh. Damn. So, Zaylee, you and I met in Form 1 at Girls College. Mm-hmm. God damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. Man, that seems like a whole lifetime ago. It feels like three lifetimes ago. Yo, Mm. yo. And listen, while we are here, I want to give a special shout out to all the girls college alumni. I'm talking candy stripes, white shirts, blue shirts, (laughs) all the girls. What up, girls college? What was that thing we said? Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will always be a girls' college girl. And we all used to repeat it at assembly in a chorus. And 21 years later, it's still stuck in my head. (laughs) Only to realize that those motherfuckers were racist as hell. Anyway, (laughs) we'll leave that for another episode. (laughs) Um. Um. But yeah, you and I, we go way back. Like, I mean, there was a period of time where we lost touch, but then we've kind of reconnected mm. in, in and around the time we both, 
well I guess when you um went under you you know started this journey of motherhood yeah yeah I guess yes that's true yeah yeah and in the intervening years you have trotted the globe can you tell Mm. us a little bit more about that yeah I mean it starts with like after you finish high school you're thinking about what do I do next and where do I go right and the default is you go to at least at the time you would go to South Africa you would go to the UK Australia was popular back then Commonwealth English-speaking places Mm. known for education and there's certain things you need to factor in. It's like cost. Um, it's also, did you get in? Because like South Africa is highly competitive. Everyone's trying to get in there, at least from our neighboring countries in the South of Africa and all. So, I mean, for me, it was more, I, I don't even know the process. I just crack a joke these days when someone asks, how did I end up going to university in North North Cyprus? It's like, yeah, I closed my eyes and, you know, just pointed at some random location on a map and I went there. <laughs> But it's not true. That's not actually what happened. But it feels like that's what happened because it Mm. was so it was just as random. So that's what actually got me on a plane out at first. And I was 17 starting university and um, I kind of never stopped getting on planes since then, (laughs) pretty much, except for these past few years. But, you know in general. So that's pretty much what started it. It was just going to university. um, But it was three and a half years over there. And then I did a master's, which was traveling in three countries. So the whole class, it was funded by the European Commission to have these two classes per year. Yeah. And then we traveled to like, uh, we did a semester in Turkey, we did a semester in France at the institution's home base. We did a semester in Germany. And in between, we had study trips to important European locations like Brussels and Strasbourg and Geneva. And then I did an internship in The Hague. Uh, and then I went to Botswana. I went home for a year and a half. And then I came to Sweden. And then I traveled even more for my job once I got a job um, after I finished my studies. And then during my studies, I did my research in the Philippines. And it just kept going on and on and on um, like that. God damn, Azalea. I didn't even know, like, I didn't know about, um, well, I guess I knew that you were in, in Cyprus, but I didn't know all these other countries. I thought you'd mainly been, like, in the Scandinavian region. No, that was, I had not been here until I moved here, actually, because I remember when we were studying in this uh, master's where, where you travel around, uh, five of us girls used to do trips, like, I mean, those kind of trips where you're tying your sneakers on your jacket because you paid for the lowest fee seat on the plane and no baggage <laughs> and you're just trying to I swear I have like a photo of me with stuff hanging off just because I had no baggage and we just needed to get on the flight mm-hmm. so we used to do these trips on like little to no money and just enjoy ourselves and they went on after we did a couple of them like Italy and all other places they went to they went on a Scandinavian trip and I was just like ah no I'm not joining you because this was going to be the most expensive uh, destination we would have done together at that point. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm done eating soup and bread just to like, <laughs> just to like get the cheapest flights and train tickets. So I skipped the Scandinavian trip. So I never actually came here until I moved here in 2013 to do a, uh, another master's program. So that was, uh, until then I had not been up in the Nordics. Wow. 
So, okay, listening to all your educational uh, accomplishments, it like dawns on me that one thing girls college girls are going to do is we are going to learn two master's <laughs> degrees. Girl, come on now. We're going to learn. Yo, mm-hmm. for everything. I mean, for I mean, it was a good school, I guess. But hey, look. <laughs> It was it was a great jumping off point and listen, you took it and you ran and then you flew and you flew and you flew and you flew. <laughs> I think there's there's a lot of girls college girls that we can be very proud of. I mm. mean our our former uh roommates in boarding school or classmates in the class, I think so many um of our high school mates are doing so great right now such Mm. wonderful things and it's Mm. so amazing um and i think i mean all things considered we can be proud of ourselves for those kind of things absolutely absolutely okay so with all these amazing things that you've done that you've accomplished all these beautiful corners of the world that you've been to um you then also became a mom to Ash. Can you tell us uh, more about your beautiful brown skin baby? Yes. Uh, my brown skin baby that is away at camp right now, didn't want to go on camp, but called me yesterday to say how nice it was. <laughs> he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's kind. He's sweet. I mean, I mean, that's on the top of the list. He's kind mm. and he's really sweet and he's rather emotionally intelligent. He always kind of was, he just had this thing for, for seeing other people. And that also makes him someone that uh, people want to be friends with very easily. So even at school and all this, uh, like relocating to Sweden and everything, he made friends on the first day, the teachers were like, I was nervous. I was just like waiting to pick him up. And the teachers were like, no, it's like he's been with us this whole time. He just came and blended right in and started playing with people and everything. So he, he has a very kind, um, considerate nature. And um, I don't know if it's an only kid thing or his thing where he loves his space, he loves his calm time, but then he loves being social. So it's kind of like a bit of both. He wants to be social and have fun and interact. And then he's like, okay, I'm done now. I need my time. I need my space. He goes mm. into his room, which he, he loves his room and uh, his space. And then when he's ready and he's done, then he'll come out again. So it's like, he also loves having visitors over, uh, even if he's not interacting with them necessarily, he just likes the buzz around him, but he can stay uh, as calm and reserved as, as, as he likes during that time. Um, yeah. He, he has a good eye for design. He chose our, curtains carpet and sofa Oh, (laughs) I went with it I went with it and it works um and he's into aviation since he was a teeny teeny little baby he loves aviation and planes and all that kind of stuff so that's a bit about him that's lovely he sounds like an absolute gem um and I wonder, like, you know, you mentioned he's kind, he's considerate, he's sweet, this emotional intelligence, he's friendly, popular, all that kind of stuff. Do you think, you know, that was just the luck of the draw? Or do you think it's, you know, an intentionality that you have brought to his upbringing? Yo, I don't know. Huh? 
I that's you not it's... that's you not giving yourself credit and i knew you were going to say that no but it's it's that debate is it nurture or nature in some ways we are not similar at all in some ways we are very similar you know it's like is it nurture or nature i don't know um and maybe it's also the first years of his life he was raised by his grandparents and he had lots of people around him and so on so that can also be part of it right that grandparents also tend to be much softer and nurturing when they're with their grandkids than when they were like raising us (laughs) so it could have also been all of those things put together um so Either way, I'm just glad that he is who he is. And I hope he stays that way, basically. Mm. Um, Yeah. Mm. Okay, so you're talking about, you know, your life in Sweden. And Mish was was in bots with your uh, parents. How old was he when he joined you? Um, He had just turned seven when he joined me. So that was like five years ago now, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Uh, And it was me going, flying to Botswana every now and then. So if I was studying, then I'll go back to Botswana in the summer holidays uh, and stay like two or three months. Uh, If I was not studying and doing something else, then I would just go anyway and stay at least a month each time. So every year I was at home for a month or three months, uh, basically. And then it was my parents giving him that stability. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, listen if there's one thing I'm grateful for it's grand it's grandparents you Mm. know they just they they're just like these wells of unending love and patience and nurturing and tenderness for their grandchildren Uh I was gonna say like sometimes I'm just like is this the same person (laughs) yo yo for real for real I remember when Owami was little, um, this boy would just be like standing on the couch or laying on the top of the backrest. And my mom would say nothing. And I'd be like, excuse me, madame. Excuse me, madame. (laughs) What is this? (laughs) It's like so grateful for for grandparents and so confused. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm confusion. Where was this person when I was growing up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. But yo, we're so grateful. Um, Okay, so Zaylee, tell me about your village then, because you are a globetrotter, you, you know, tell me about your village. Yeah, so I, I need to answer it in stages because right now also ash is 12 years old you know it get, you go through different phases you need different types of villages for the different phases and now it's less about trying to find sitters or babysitters or anything like that it's more just about oh my goodness all the all the new information that they they learn in this day and age and how am i going to accumulate the wisdom how do i guide etc and that's the kind of village that i need to So I don't have the same number of people as in the beginning and the same type of village right now. But um, last night I was with uh, two friends and colleagues, (laughs) Um, also moms, sometimes uh, parenting on their own too. And we were just like occupying the apartment of our other friend because they have a spa in the building. So we were just having a nice 
ladies night out just the three of us and they their kids are older than mine so sometimes it's the village is listening to them or asking them questions but sometimes I even forget mm. but they have both the uh, fun fact one of them used to be my neighbor and her kids used to sit Asher um, and one one of them used was my first ever manager at my job in Sweden but we're just friends now um, and the, the times I do remember to talk to them I mean, they've just dropped wisdom or they've just made me calm about something that I was overthinking. Mm. So that, that is also one type of um, village. And we have uh, high school friends as well in the UK. I'm close with their family. And sometimes I call her parents for some wisdom, advice, support, or even for Asha to speak to them as secondary grandparents mm. because we have that relationship. So there's also that village that I have. And um, the other answer is in the beginning the type of village I had was not even one that I asked for they just showed up mm. so I mean I don't have a family here with me but what they my colleagues okay I know it's really weird but like at work <laughs> we also have a lot of life friends from work especially us international people that move here work here and we become each other's friends and we were arriving from the airport the first time ever Asher moving to Sweden. And I asked one of my uh, American uh, colleagues and friends, can you pick me up because I'll have luggage. Um, can you pick me up from the uh, airport, which is in a train? I mean, the train station at the airport so that you can help me uh, board and things like that. Then she came with a Swedish colleague of ours. Mm. And I was like, oh, hi, you're here. And then they were trying to say, oh, let's go out for a coffee. And I was like, no, I just made a like 36 hour trip. I'm really tired. So when we land, when we arrived, got out off the train at our central station, there was this huge group of my colleagues and they just screamed and they had candy and balloons and flowers oh. and everything. And they just surprised us like, welcome to Sweden, Asher. And it was just like the most wonderful thing because it was out of the blue. It was just my colleagues from work that kind of, arranged this um, and coordinated with my flight details and everything. So a lot of them um, just stepped up and sometime in the first year, which was really tough for me, it was really, really hard because I was trying to learn that I can't run the dishwasher, the washing machine, do homework, fold clothes, cook, clean all at the same time. I mm. had to learn how to pace myself. So the first year was really rough. And the first year I was still traveling internationally for work. Um, which I, in the end, put a stop to, but it was like, it was that transition year. And I had these same colleagues who turned life friends also step in and help babysit. Or when the, uh, when I was away and when the birthday party invitations were like every weekend at some point, I had a colleague like, okay, I'll drop him off at the party so that you can then pick him up and you don't have to worry about both. Then I had these two amazing babysitters uh, they were master's students. One was from Australia, one was uh, from Germany. And to this day, they still call and send like cards or stickers for Asher. And um, they were amazing. And one was raised by a single mom. So she she knew my needs before I did. I'll come home and she's like, yeah, I just cooked some extra food for you for the Aww. week. And I was like, what? So, you know, it was just these really small things, people showing up. I didn't need to ask them to because I didn't have that plan. I didn't like have a meeting and say hi my son's gonna move here I need support no they just showed up mm. and and um, 
that was the early, those were the early days when he was younger, when I was figuring things out, uh, when I was traveling, when, uh, yeah, the first, the first uh, two years, basically. And then as he got older, the needs started changing. So I don't have so much of a, a uh, what you call it, a village in the sense of having a lot of options right now of who mm-hmm. I can call, but I'm never afraid that there'll be an emergency where there isn't someone. No, there is. Emergencies, mm-hmm. there's always someone. And if I'm really like, oh man, I really need da 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 da, there's always someone. Mm-hmm. They're just not like there constantly, but the village is smaller, but also the village is still available, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm, absolutely. Um, so Zaley, it seems like you have a village that really takes a different form than one that let's say you would have had had you been back home in bots I mean totally like 360 there's there's almost no overlap Mm -hmm. (laughs) totally Mm -hmm. different yeah yeah um I think had I been in bots um or yeah or back home basically I think you know, you tend to hire help as well. So you would have maybe a live-in uh, house help or nanny or something, which which we did for the first three years of Ash's life anyway, um, just to keep the house running because then it was other people in the house. It wasn't just um, him and us. But so there's, there's hired help back home. Um, my family isn't like super huge. And since we are spread between Botswana and Zimbabwe, it's not that all my cousins and other relatives are in Botswana either. So it still wouldn't have been that big community um, in Botswana because we are uh, spread across, but it would have been, let me put it this way as to how it actually was. It was like when I did go home for one to three months, it was like, yes, there was a full-time house help. There was, uh, there were cars to drive, to run errands. If my sister was home from university on vacation or something, then my sister was in the house and then uh, my parents as well. So it was not like now where I have to do everything. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm the accountant to the chef, to the trash taker router, to the, you know, literally everything. Whereas back home, you can spread those things for uh, that you have to do in the daily life as well. Mm -hmm. You can spread them across different people and different people will do different things and you don't think about it. Um, it might seem tough, but actually it's, it's not when you're spreading things out, it's actually so much more, um, maintainable. Let's put it that way. So it would have been super different in that sense. Um, and here, even though there is a a form of village for different things, it still is primarily my responsibility to see to, everything Mm -hmm. and also like the type of village that you have now um you lean on them in a different way Mm -hmm. you know like back home you can literally say okay take this baby and i'll see you in 10 hours handle whatever (laughs) happens in between yes (laughs) yeah that's just how you know it is and you know like they say many hands make for light work Mm, mm -hmm. yeah um Mm -hmm. so okay so 
I'm curious, when you you and Ash were still in bots, did you ever um, find you and your village, you know, sort of clashing heads? Oh, all the time. <laughs> all the time. It. <laughs> so it was a, I couldn't even choose the diapers that he, like Pampers or Huggies. It wasn't my choice, I found out. Mm. So... <laughs> So, I mean, it was on, on all the nitty gritties because, you know, mom knows best. My mom, grandma knows best. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically couldn't choose. I had to follow. Um, what made it easier was that when I was away, though, they didn't involve me in nitty gritty decisions and details. At the time, it was annoying because I wanted to know everything that was happening because I wanted to feel involved. I wanted to feel present and there, even from that perspective. But in the long run, I think it was probably better that way because I still wouldn't have even had the the choice. Mm-hmm. So it would have just caused maybe friction or unnecessary like um, conversations and arguments. So in the end, okay, fine. It was better. So so And then when I go home, I just need to fall in line. That's mm. how it was. I <laughs> needed to fall in line. So the first thing I would do is find out what the routines are and everything like that and fall in line. Because if I did try to change things or or something like that, it was always met with a critical, um, critical response. So I Mm -hmm. try to do that. I mean, I I would do it even sometimes by mistake, (laughs) not knowing that I'm actually changing a routine or something and then find out the hard way. So it was like, yeah, all the time when you are co-parenting with that many people, um, then you, it's like that saying about too many chefs spoiled the broth or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't want seven people cooking in the kitchen at the same time. And that was the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's tough, right? Because you're trying to balance, you know, this immense gratitude that you have for mm-hmm. all the support that they're giving you but you're also trying to own the experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that can be that can be a really really tough thing I remember like with my own mom um we kind of had the same clashes especially because I was so young you know I think I turned 18 and Owami was like a, a month old by the time I turned 18 so I mean, my mom wasn't, there wasn't too much like fall in line. I just was, you know, pretty defiant. But there were times where I had to like sit down and think and say, look, my mom wants nothing but the best for my son and she wants nothing the best for me. What do I lose sometimes from acquiescing? And, you know, she does know better than me because she's been a mom Mm. a hell of a lot longer than I have, Mm. you know. But yeah, that that balance can be really tough. I think especially in our African context. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I don't see it being a problem with uh, friends out here. Um, it's not a problem. And even those that I've visited them and like stayed in their house. And there's several generations in the house. I have a friend like that when a couple of years ago when her son was born. And I we visited them a couple of times. I've also taken ash up there traveling um that that was not present uh, it's not present in uh european or shall i say european caucasian households mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. dynamic 
Do you feel though that their type, you know, the function of their village is the same? And like what I mean is, you know, for us, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing to call your mom and say, I am on my way to drop off your grandson. I will see you, you know, in 12 to 18 hours. Do you see that kind of flexibility in their style of village? I have two answers because my experience or my family is not like that. I can't just do that. I, we, are, we are a lot of individualistic people in my family, myself mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't just do that, actually. Um, mm. Maybe, I don't know, maybe my sister can because my sister has her kids too. So maybe she can because, you know, they now also live in, in, in bots at the moment. So maybe it's a different thing for them. But for, for me, it wasn't like that. I had to always like pre-plan, pre-book and ask and so on. Mm. Um, but the, for the first part of the question is what I observe here. I think it's the same because with my European friends that are not necessarily in Swe- from Sweden, but they live in Sweden, their parents, if they have parents and they're able to, they fly here frequently from whichever other country they're from to help and take care of um, the kids or whatever it is. So I think it's the same in that sense, even though now there's a uh, travel involved to be able to do that, the essence is still there. They come at the time when they're needed. Mm. And with um, Swedish friends or families here, for sure, family is big. The Swedish society is built around family. Mm. Everything is planned for family and all age groups and thinking of kids. Like if there's even free activities for kids every single school break and holiday. Wow. So there's, there's paid ones as well, but there's also free ones. So it's just like everything is planned in society around different age groups, around the family, around uh, different kids. Not to say that families necessarily need to be um, this thing of like two parents, blah, blah, blah. There's also a lot of different types of family here and it's planned for that too. Um, So I think that yes, they do get that same type of support. Some people even move to different location to be closer to grandparents or other family that can have a, a full presence in the kid's life because they know they're going to need extra help with things Mm. so that's very common I would say where I am at least Mm. so okay you raise a really interesting point about how so much of Swedish society takes into consideration children and the needs of children whereas I feel like back home it's almost the opposite like there's the order of things and then children fit in the spaces Right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and is there any observable difference that you've seen as a result of the way Sweden organizes its society? I mean, it's 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 like day and night in the sense that I I've seen what it looks like for for children to be empowered, and some of the things you've touched on in your previous episodes. Um, when you go to, let's say, the doctor. The doctor is not talking to you as the parent if the consultation is for the child. They're mm. looking at the child and talking to the child and asking the child to explain whatever. The parent, they will come and also ask the parent, but they will take it in turns and it, they are acknowledged. They are they are members of the society. They have a voice wherever they go. I see how the kids, like let's say you're, you're 
in an information like one time we went let's we went for this easter event at church it was focused it was for kids um and they were trying to start the treasure hunt and they were giving the instructions and where the kids can get um their papers and whatever the kids were like raising their hand in this big auditorium to ask questions because they wanted to know certain things and the the leader of the treasure hunt was pausing and taking their questions and they didn't need to ask for permission or they didn't need to ask an adult to ask the question. They just raised their hand and asked the question because they are part of this dialogue. It's for them and they are there and they are seen. I think it, it makes such a huge um, difference because they actually acknowledge the spaces which are for them and they have a confidence in it because my son will be like, uh, at least the previous years when he was younger, he would identify, oh yeah, that's the kids section. Okay, bye. Mm. Because it was more like an empowerment. Like, yeah, that's the space that's created for me. You adults stay in your boring area. I'm mm. going over there. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's like, um, those are the things I have noticed that are super different from um, keep quiet. This is adult time. Adults are talking, go sit there or, you know, whatever else we would have identified in our societies back home where kids couldn't just speak out of turn they call it mm, mm. it's like children are to be seen not heard yeah, yeah yeah that's really interesting you say that so a few years ago I read a book called how children succeed by Paul Tuff and most of the book you know centered around children in under under privileged areas in the United States so like you know urban inner city kind of places but he talked about certain things that had been done in charter schools where there was like a very intentional way that they, in which they educated the children. And when it came to matters of like advocacy, I remember one thing Paul wrote about was teach your children how to engage with adults and be able to um, stand for themselves for instance one of the things he recommended was when you're taking your child to the doctor almost coach your child like so Owami um, what are you going to tell the doctor is hurting and you know you help them find the verbiage um, you know and then ask are there any questions you would like to ask the doctor you know mm -hmm. things like that and even mm -hmm. now Owami is um, 16 when we go to an appointment for instance uh, uh, I think last month or the month before uh, I took him to a chiropractor because he was having pain mm. and even now I remind him and I say remember to ask lots of questions and if the doctor is going to do anything ask why he or she mm -hmm. is doing it so that mm. you can get an understanding and take charge of your own healthcare, especially because we I mean in North America anyway it's been proven that systematic racism finds mm -hmm. its way into the medical field mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes yeah that's that's yes. amazing I love I mean can I come to Sweden <laughs> I mean don't come here for the weather I'll, I'll just you know let, let let me balance it out for you <laughs> listen on the west coast of Canada, it's like we don't get snow fine, but 
yo the rain and the gray i feel like i might just feel right at home in sweden you might you might it's just <laughs> then uh, you need to add some like 10 lights to your room to counter the darkness oh so we're trying not to think of that right now because yo. the trees still have leaves and it's sunny as we speak even though it is 8 p.m it is still sunny so we're trying not to think about the game of thrones that is about to <laughs> be winter <laughs> winter is coming winter is coming <laughs> it's a threat it's a threat it is a threat <laughs> the other day i saw a leaf fall off a tree oh no you, no it hurt my soul <laughs> it hurt my soul and for all for all the south african listeners and people in zim you must know that I get a little bit upset when I see you guys be like, hey, summer is coming because I'm like, y'all need to go back you. inside because I'm not done with my summer. And then the brides are coming out and you're just here like, hey, sh- yo, <laughs> yo. <laughs> yeah. It's a threat. Mm-hmm. It's- <laughs> Winter is coming. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. Okay, so this, okay, this is... I think a perfect segue. So Sweden has this wonderful culture that is child centric. Do you think it helps nurture, you know, a child's curiosity? Mm. That's a very interesting question because um, as much as I have chosen this place as the crazy I'm going to deal with, because every place says it's crazy and this is mine. (laughs) Um, I also do have my, I'll throw some balance in there because first of all, it took a hundred years to get to this point where children's rights were developed to the point that they are in Sweden. Mm. Um, and that's, that's one thing. So for, for everyone else in other places, I mean, this is the bubble. This is the, this might seem like the ideal, but it's going to take work to get to this point. Mm. It's going to take generations. The author of, uh, Pippi Longstockings was also part of that movement, you know. Mm. So it, it takes generations. Let's let's put that into perspective. And then the other thing is, because everything is um, highly socialized, like the social system here, it also means that we don't pay for our basic needs. Uh, it's taken up through the taxes, which work very well. Very grateful for that. So yes, high taxes, but you actually know why. Um, so we don't need to think about anything for school at all. Only the after-school care for parents who work or are in studies, um, that, then you need to pay for those extra hours for your kids to stay at school and have activities while you're working or studying. And there's also night care for people who are like doctors or nurses and things like that. So everything else is free. Um, but also, the thing is you don't have so much choice in the system. We can talk about any system, whether it's housing or healthcare, whatever, you don't have so much choice. That's the downside of it. For for us that come from countries where you have a very active private sector, that would seem like a downside. For people who come from also highly socialized systems, it's not a downside. So the curiosity can also be made or broken by schools. And the reason we've also moved even uh, last year back to this university town which I started living in but we moved to a different uh, city in between was for the schools because I could see that the particular one that he was in 
it was not nurturing that curiosity I knew that he had or that enthusiasm for learning that I knew that he had from his previous school. And not to take too much time, but he was in an international school first, uh, English speaking to make the transition easier. Then I realized he needed more local touch. So I moved him to a Swedish school before the age of 10 so that he could learn the language by immersion. And he did in one term. Uh, he stayed there two years and it was killing him softly. The environment just wasn't for him. So um, I had to then look to a different town, this education university hub and move here, which is very popular for lots of families and find he's in a bilingual school, local syllabus, but international profile school. And it's like the perfect mix for people like us. And that was the point of having this kind of a school exist in the first place. So now I see that it nurtures his curiosity a bit more. So I found that even though he was an enthusiastic um, learner or person in the beginning, the school that didn't work for him actually crushed that. Mm. It actually crushed it. So it's just like, um, it's a bit tricky because it can be part of your personality and then some outward circumstance can alter that. So now I'm so happy that he's back to his curious, enthusiastic, self-responsible student. I don't need to worry about anything. He's on top of everything at school. He's on top of other things because um, he's no longer feeling like he's in the wrong environment and being crushed by it. That's mm -hmm. a very long-winded answer, but it's just to also expose some of the challenges of being an expat and needing to find your place when you start becoming a local, but you're mm. not quite a local. Mm -hmm. And you know what? So I, I love your long-winded answer because I think it shows the, the breadth of different contexts and environments that we as diasporans have to parent in and you know, I believe all of us have a desire to nurture our children as best we can. And it can be tough figuring it out, especially in a country so different than the one that you came from and everything that you're accustomed to. Mm -hmm. It's mm. a, uh, it's firstly, I mean, you saw, it sounds like you're doing a wonderful job. The fact that you were able to identify that, you know, this isn't the right environment for ash and then actually doing something about it mm, thank you it's 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 wonderful and it's important um now i something i'm curious about so wait is ash now like a fluent swedish speaker yes he's fluent uh not native fluency but because he still prefers english but he's fluent yes that's amazing mm -hmm. that's so amazing I'm so proud of him and I'm always happy to see him engage and interact because it's just like uh, he's at home and I'm so happy for that. So if you were to ask Ash, hey, Ash, let's OK, no, actually, let me back. up. Let's say supposing you do stay in Sweden, like by the time he's in high school, when people ask him, hey, Mish, where are you from? Do you think his answer will be bots or he's going to become Swedish? No idea. Um, and. What I've noticed from, from people who have multiple identities, uh, ethnic identities we're talking about, or cultural identities here, they still spell them out. They don't actually ever say, I'm Swedish, unless the situation is calling for it and they need to give a basic answer. So that's what I've noticed in this society, whereas in other European countries I've lived in or passed through, 
people would just say, yeah, I'm German and I'm German and that's it, you know, or, or whatever country it is. But here I see that people tend to spell it out even if they were born here. So I'm not sure, um, depending on how he feels and how he um, interacts as time goes on, I imagine he might also come up with a longer answer. I have a longer answer myself and uh, I'm not even feeling like I, I'm completely, I'm not, it's not because I'm naturalized here, it's just because of the kind of cultural identities you end up picking up over, over time. Mm-hmm. Do you sometimes feel a sense of like cultural schizophrenia? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it actually my friend last night put it really well. We we're talking about raising teens and it's like um, you're, she's put it perfectly. Like you're, you're mentally somewhere else, but you're physically here. Mm. And in that sense, yes, because sometimes you can like home, back home Botswana is like a world apart it's, it's like a different world you can't really compare things so yes if if something's happening at home or you're in a discussion with your family or you're attending to a crisis or you're planning something together you're mentally over there um, and physically over here also dealing with a whole different world so it takes a lot to decide how you're going to handle that because it can actually stunt you. It can paralyze you. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to mentally put up your boundaries. Where are you going to engage? It can be with simple things like the news. You see something on the news about home where the rest of your family is living or someone is living. And that can, that can already cause like uh, the balance to be off. Mm-hmm. And you start worrying it, but you have to live your life at the same time, because in that moment, you can't actually do anything mm-hmm. about something geographically so far away. So for that reason, you need to kind of figure out where is the boundary of comfort and driving yourself crazy um, and not sleeping at night or developing anxiety or something, mm-hmm. it, you know, it could be anything. It could be anything or just missing people. Maybe it's just, maybe it's a nice thing. Maybe you're just missing people too much. And that is very hard to deal with. So it's tricky. It is very tricky because you can't get rid of who you are and you shouldn't, but it's more just how can you live your own life and live your life knowing that you have kids to nurture and you need to be present over here too. And you have goals of your own you have dreams you have hopes and you have uh stuff of your own too Mm -hmm. being somewhere else Mm. so something that just occurred to me as you're speaking is like you know my background I don't even know if I should I don't even think I can call it cultural background anymore because you know my my not formative years but you know the time when I went from an adolescent to an adult was here so a lot of the things in Zimbabwe now just feel so foreign and I'm Mm. now just realizing that you know my Zimbabweanness is now just a part of who I am and you know probably as I get older that part actually diminishes but you know I still believe and hope that I'll always keep the good parts of my Zimbabweanness, like the mm-hmm. essence of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and not try to be so and not get bogged down. I'll tell you something I really struggled with even was my accent, you know, because I felt especially once I started going to school after Wami was born, you know, the more I would interact with the people from here, I noticed that my accent would start to change. Mm. Um, And that really bothered me for a while. And then it's only until recently that I've just had to kind of, I guess, let go and say, yeah, you know, for the most part, I think I sound Canadian, except for when I'm talking to people from back home. Mm. And sometimes I say funny words a funny way and the Canadians will be like, wait, what? And, Mm. you know, sometimes I hear myself speaking and I'll be like, whoa, that sounded so Canadian. But I've definitely experienced that cultural schizophrenia. And like what you said about the news, something that I decided years ago is I will not engage with Zimbabwean news at all. Mm. Um, Because like more than anything, it just brought brought distress, Mm -hmm. you know. And also, like I've seen people who've tried to straddle that, you know, the two homes that they have. And it to me, it just seems like you're never fully here, but you're not fully at home. So, you know, I've always wondered, like, how do you feel anchored when your existence is split so severely between two places that are so different? I, I agree with that feeling if I ever um, observe something like that as well, because I end up feeling, because right now I, I'm very clear that Sweden is my home base. I mean, it's nine years next week for me here. Wow. Um, it's it it's my home base i'm building everything here and it starts with small decisions like what type of furniture am i going to buy because when you have a temporary mindset versus a more stable mindset and it's a transition i had to go through because i moved around so much all the time i was with suitcases i had a temporary mindset even when i should have been starting to feel more stable here mm. so it's like a shift i had to intentionally make and um it's not great to constantly feel temporary in a stable situation, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. everything else is stable, but you're still behaving in a temporary manner. Mm-hmm. So I always feel like, yeah, it didn't feel great. So exactly. How can you then maintain being split between two places deeply, like deeply um it's tricky i only can imagine that it must be even more tricky um to do it you never feel at peace or maybe belonging i don't know it could be different things for different people Mm -hmm. so now okay something i'm curious about is how do you think your global citizenship has impacted ash and the way he's developed like as a person yeah, I think it's it still remains to be seen, of course, but I think uh, I immediately tried to have fun with it, with him. So in the first two years when he was here, we'd already like traveled a whole bunch. I mean, he can pack a bag. He knows how to find a train track and knows what to do at an airport. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, for me, it's something fun. It's a way to learn. It's a, it's a way to experience life, learn about people, because then you you end up having a more open mind to things. You're not going to be afraid of too many things because you have that 
curiosity to keep exploring and you know that there's something new there's something different out there so even if something is new it's not going to freak you out it's you know that's what I, I feel that traveling can give besides all the great street food of course but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's what traveling can give a person uh in terms of an education outside of uh what they what outside of books so yeah. in the first two years we had he'd been to London a couple of times. He's been all over Sweden. We've been to Helsinki in Finland. I've taken him uh, all uh, over Estonia, uh, where I have friends. Uh, we've been to Moscow. Um, definitely he's been to Copenhagen because it's very close to where we are, which is in Denmark. Um, yeah, so I mean, we just, we're just like, yeah, I just took him with me and traveling, of course, with him is different than how I traveled before by myself, but it's just like, it's part of the experience so that he can see how the world is connected or meet different people and be in different places. So that's kind of how it has been for us. And I think it, it will continue to be that way. Although I don't know how the teenage years work with the enthusiasm to follow you <laughs> everywhere, but <laughs> let's see. <laughs> It's a, it sounds like it's probably nurtured like a sense of adventure and adaptability and resilience because he knows that, that, you know, I can go to a different place and I can be safe and I can have fun. Yes. And figure out ability because mm. one thing that when you travel, you should also expect like things to go wrong from time to time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that helps you actually realize that you're capable of figuring things out. So it's also a life skill mm -hmm. um, because just like here in Sweden, the kids get to school by themselves after a certain age. Again, like I said, society is really built around facilitating these things. So um, there, there have been times where, uh, he takes the wrong bus or he's going in the opposite direction than he should be going. And then he calls <laughs> me and he's like, okay, should I get off at this? I'm like, I don't know where you are. <laughs> so, Figure it like, out. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, you have to ask questions, you talk to the driver, or, you know, whatever it is, it, it's a life skill. So you're also learning life skills as you are doing these things like traveling, being a global citizen or, or experiencing new things. It's teaching something. And you might not know that it's teaching you something until later you find yourself in a predicament and you actually know how to get yourself out of it. You know how to solve it. You know what to do when you miss your, your flight or you found yourself at the wrong train station. That's when you realize that you've actually learned how to figure things out. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, it makes me think um, something I realized with Owami was I was always so quick to jump to the rescue to try and fix everything. Um, part of that was like this micromanaging gene I have. Um, and then I think part of it was like an anxiety thing that I had and also just always trying to smooth the path. And it's not until very recently that I realized that I was stunting his development by always swooping in. And something that I've started doing quite recently is, you know, just saying to him, sweetheart you need to figure this out on your own because mm. I know you can mm, mm. you know I'm guilty. And, mm. yeah 
that's something it's like a hard balance to strike however like i guess like in your situation it comes down to the doability you like you can't be everything everywhere all the time i mean it's i'm also guilty of that but i think that's more to do with the transition of he had so many people around him in the first years that there was always someone to help so i needed to be able to facilitate the transition to, okay, but actually now you're getting older and you're capable of doing this mm-hmm. or figuring this out. And I still struggle because it's easier sometimes for me to swoop in. It's easier. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more difficult to let go and be like, it's okay, mama. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. You got this. It's yeah. actually hard. It's really hard. Um, but for sure, being in too many places at once and like not being able to be too many places at once is is like that because I give an example. I was in a very important meeting at work online. It was my turn to speak. And Mish is, uh, Ash is like at, at, at a pool with his class and he's forgotten where the bus stop is to come home, <laughs> even though I had just shown it to him the other day to make sure that on like he would be able to do it. I always take him the first time to things like that to make sure that he knows where things are, he's able to do it. So I had to tell them at work, like I'm having tech difficulties so that I could have an excuse <laughs> to turn off my camera and mute myself so that I could pick up the call because he's buzzing my phone and he's like, I can't remember where the bus stop is. Oh, I'm like, my oh my goodness, what's happening? So it was just kind of like, it was stressful in the moment, of course. And I could have told those people, hang on, my son is calling it would have been fine, but I, I didn't even have time to go through that whole spiel. It was quicker for me to say tech difficulties, I'll be right. back, and then <laughs> right. pick up the phone, and then guide him to where the bus stop is, and then he's like, oh yeah, I remember. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that is just like literally um, the, I, I, I literally, yes, we literally cannot be where our kids are all the time, or be in multiple places at the same time. So yes, sometimes it is worth just like holding ourselves back and be like okay mom okay mama it's okay yeah <laughs> got this. you'll be because, fine yeah yeah you know everything you're telling me and even from our private conversations like I hope you realize how much you do and how well you're doing it. I know like when you're in the mix, it does not feel like it. But like mm. even now how you're just talking about, you know, I'm in an important meeting. Mish is lost at some bus stop. Both of these, <laughs> things, <laughs> both of these things are important. And, and dinner and, and <laughs> that other meeting. Like you're doing so much. I hope you like pause often to pat yourself on the back. I should put a reminder to do so. <laughs> Listen, you should. You should. Thank you. And you know what? Even once in a while, I'm going to just send you a message and be like, "Listen, you're doing a great job, so just relax, okay?" <laughs> because he, thank you. <laughs> we, we all need, I think we all need and I know there's so many moms listening that also need that reminder that mama you're you're doing a good job so please give yourself a fucking break pat yourself on the back because you know if resilience is genetic our kids are going to be resilient you know Mm. just by virtue of the people we are Mm -hmm. you know um 
Zaylee, what are some of your hopes for Ash as he gets older? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I hope that he will have a life full of grace and joy and peace, right? So it sounds cliche, but man, those things are hard, actually. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Grace, joy, peace, it's hard to, <laughs> to maintain that. But I think what I really hope for is that he can be intentional about, about life, intentional about uh, creating the life that he wants to have mm-hmm. and choose. Because choosing your life is a privilege, Mm-hmm. It's a privilege to choose the type of life that you want to have and create it or take steps to create it. It's not, it's not, a, it's a continuous process. So I just hope that he will be in a position to do that. Be- yes, job and career and income, those are all enablers to get you there. But I'm less stressed about, I'm less focused on what, you know, the thing we were always asked, what do you want to become? Mm-hmm. Man, I've changed. I have changed like a full 360 and I'm all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like you can change. You can change. You can evolve. You can decide, nah, this is not for me. I'm trying something else. So I think that's less of my focus. It's rather that whatever it is that he's doing or changes, whether he still loves planes or whether he decides to join me in, in our furniture company and designing stuff, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, it's fine. It, those are just enablers to get you to the place where you are able to be intentional and create the life that you want. So that's what I would say. Mm, that's so beautiful. And with a mother like you, Ash is well on his way. And we here at the league, we wish him every single good, wonderful, great thing that the universe has to offer. And I personally can't wait to watch him grow because so far it's been an absolute pleasure thanks mama oh. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you Zaylee, for joining us it's been such a pleasure having you on the show and uh i have a feeling you will be back for more episodes <laughs> yes and i promise to be less of a, a what you call it uh diva <laughs> No, we okay. So what Zaylee's referring to is before the episode, she's like, "What about this? What about that?" And I'm like, Chick, "It's like we do this all the time. We're just recording it now." <laughs> oh, yes, I had a million questions for you, um, but I I would be happy to be back because then you know we've done this once. It'll be my pleasure to do it again with you. You're such a great host. I enjoy your podcast. Please continue filling the space that only you can fill oh. uh we're, we're loving it <laughs> thank you thank you and now that you are a pod pro yeah we're gonna do this again we're gonna have more fun thank you again Zaylee. thank you bye that is it for this week's episode titled it takes a village i thank you so much for hanging out with me it was a slightly longer episode but i think you will agree it was well worth it 
join the discussion if you would like to add anything if there's a topic you would like me to talk about heck if you would like to be a guest on the show send me an email league of evil moms at gmail.com remember again to subscribe so you never miss an episode leave a review rate the show share it with your friends let's grow this league so that our brand skin babies can be out here in the world motherfucking thriving okay till next week this has been the league of evil moms i am your host nobukosi mafu we are out